Is there a possum in the roof? No. Why? Oh, I just heard like a. I think, you know, I think it was just him shutting the door. I'm very attuned to that sort of sound. Yeah. Because the possum in our roof, so it's been, obviously it's been there for quite a while. It, it's a permanent resident. And we, since we did the front veranda, we sit out there and it just so happened, like the first night we sat out there, the possum was just like, I'm fucking coming out. And it like sat right like on, like on the, what am I trying to say? The power line, like right where yeah. we were sitting and just looked at us. It was and it like. Was, what are Huge. you doing on my veranda? It was like the size of a staffy. Yeah, it was they're, gigantic. they're pretty big. Okay, but then the next night, because this is during the summer holidays, we were sitting there and we could hear it come out. Like it makes such a ruckus, but we hadn't seen it yet. Then just this gigantic stream of piss came just from the <laughs> roof down over in front of us. Oh, my God. It, I think it's a power move. Yeah, your possum is like flexing hardcore. Yeah, well. I'm going to kill that bastard. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Josephine. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Pretty well. That's good. A bit tired. Of course. It's life, right? Oh, life is tiring. It is. <laughs> also, Andrew's like lighting is a bit purple, which to me is like yeah. a tiring colour. Not tiring, Quite but like peaceful. Oh, that's the word. Yeah. Tiring. <laughs> I'm clearly tired. Um, it's the perfect mood to record a podcast. It in. is. Welcome everyone to my favourite musical, the podcast. That's Josephine. That's Ruth. And uh, we're going to talk to you about some musicals today. Are we? I hope so. You told me I didn't have to prepare anything this no, week. No, that's right. We're just going to talk shit all the, the whole time. Um, well, we are having a slight change of plans, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, for our 45th episode. Did you know it's episode 45? I, it I is, just realised that looking at my sheet. For our 45th main episode, we're going off script. Yeah, well, <clears throat> we were chatting about it and, you know, we normally have quite a structured beginning to our episodes where we do, like, content recommendations. We and have a, our spotlight. Yeah, spotlight. Theatre Explained. Theater yeah. And we sort of realised we were kind of, A, running out of things to pick for Theatre Explained mm. and also not running out of things to spotlight because obviously there's always going to be things, but instead we just decided that we, we wouldn't, we don't want it to be like subpar content for everyone kind yeah, of it, thing. I don't want it to be um, like tokenistic either. Exactly. Like I want it to be really authentic. So yeah. I want us to be able to have those discussions that are relevant because it's important to us. Exactly. Not just because we need and be- to find things. And so instead um, we're just going to make this beginning section <clears throat> a little bit more unstructured and a little bit more like, what we've been reading about this week or yes. whatever and, you know, start discussion points from there. And and I think also as the world starts to open up a bit more, there will hopefully be more theatre to talk about. Yeah, that's for exciting this, actually. For this beginning section. So, nice. Yeah. We promise though we won't get too off topic. <laughs> I don't promise that. Um, Can I talk about Scott Rudin? I wrote it down as well. Yeah, fuck, man. What's going on? Yeah. So for those who don't know, um, there was this really damning piece by The Hollywood Reporter that came out earlier this month this month being April 2021, um, that Scott Rudin, the big producer, has... um, Big in both, like, Hollywood and and, um, Broadway. Yeah, Yeah. like, huge. And honestly, if you look at his, like, the list of things he's done, it's just everything. Like, just everything. He's like a Weinstein type. Yeah. Um, But basically that he is an incredibly abusive, angry, um, violent man. Yeah, so kind of in contrast to Weinstein and... A few others. It's not sexual abuse that anyone has, no. uh, al- you know, allegations of, but just the biggest bully you've ever seen. Yes. Like 
Yes, and by and all accounts, violence, violent, like, yeah, assault. like physically yeah. assaulting people. And uh, like apparently this is just well-known fact in the industry yep. that he's always been like this. But it, we're now in a stage, I'm, I hope, where these allegations are taken seriously. Yeah. And so he has announced that he will be stepping away from all work immediately. Oh, just Broadway, not, just Broadway. not Hollywood. No. And, of course, you know, it's led to the big question that a lot of people have asked is what does stepping back mean? Yeah. Does that mean you no longer have a financial risk in these things? Like does that mean that therefore you also don't have a financial reward? Because, for example, he is the lead producer on The Book of Mormon, yes. right? An well, so incredibly successful musical. My interpretation of it was that he his mm. company would still be very much yeah. making money. Exactly. But he would just be like putting other people in place. like in Yeah. So it's actually sort of like he's stepping back just to have a bit of time off and also keep making money. I know. And that's, I think, what people sort of have a bit of an issue with where it's like, well, so what, he still gets to reap the financial rewards of this, what you know, this, like, abusive work that he's done over the years. Mm. Um, and it's just that he's not. And also, like, <laughs> when they say he's not directly involved, it's kind of like, what, so instead, like, he's telling someone else to yell at someone? Yeah, you know, that's like, right. Or he's yelling at that person who exactly, is managing. Exactly, exactly. Well, so I found it interesting because obviously a lot of the chat has been, like, too little too late and not enough. Like, yeah. what he's doing is definitely not good enough. Um, Actors Equity has called for employees of Rudin's to be released from their non-disclosure agreements. Yeah. Uh, I can't Which see I how think that would ever happen. a great idea. I, well, I mean, also, I, don't, like, I don't think it'll happen. But... How the fuck are they, like, seriously, yeah. that's awful. But also Actors Equity want... Um, um, written to be added to the do not work list. Yeah, I read it. I read an interesting Twitter thread about this where it was basically saying that actually that probably technically can't happen. Yeah. Because he's a member of the Broadway League and there's this like existing agreement between the Broadway League and Actors' Equity. Yeah. And, you know, like I might get some of this wrong, but basically, like if you're a member of the Broadway League, then Actors' Equity can't boycott your shows. Yeah. Like it's some sort of agreement between them where it's like, we recognize these producers and we recognise these actors yes. and they can't boycott each other, yeah. which is kind of like a bit of a shame. <laughs> it is a bit of a shame. Yeah. And also like this is terrible, but because he's such a powerhouse of a producer, that would that would mean a lot of work would be lost. That's it. Well, I think I think in the article in which he said he was stepping down, they he said in his statement that it was basically 1,500 people's jobs yeah. like on Broadway. That's right. Um, because, for example, he's the lead producer on the upcoming revival of The Music Man, the which we talked about yeah. quite a few times yeah. because of like them taking the, the Winter Garden after Beetlejuice was there and and a few <laughs> things like that. Bless you. Excuse me. Um, and, and To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, and... so he's got To Kill a Mockingbird and Book of Mormon were both already running. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so The Music Man's an interesting one as well, of course, because there was lots of calls for – Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster, who are playing, who are the two leads, mm. to well comment. step aside. Well, yeah, comment, but also step aside if he hadn't. Yes, um, and in the end, he did. I, I mean, there Sutton was, Foster said she would. Apparently, yeah. Um, uh, if he hadn't, she's. I think she said she basically would have, mm. which is interesting. But yeah, it's sort of. Yeah. I still, I, I mean, you know, like we obviously record this a little bit ahead of time. I'm I'm still hoping that, you know, more might come out. Yeah, hopefully we have better news to tell you. Yeah, yeah. later but on. It's, it's interesting how it's unfolding and I read a really cool um, comment from Anthony Rapp who uh, was in – you know, at the beginning of the Me Too movement was one of the first people yeah, to accuse Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey of sexual abuse. Um, and he said, I had hoped at the time that this would really unveil different types of abuse. Mm. And it's sort of the first high profile um, person who has not been a sexual abuser who's yeah. been guilty of other types of abuse. So it's promising that these people are being uncovered. And, and also one of the things that 
came up was, of course, he doesn't he doesn't abuse his actors necessarily. No, it's the people who work It's all for his him. underlings, yeah. right? Like it's all these assistants, assistants and, and admin yeah. people and whatever. Yeah. And so it also has kind of shown like kind of the systemic differences of, yeah. you know, as long it's as like the elitism. actors are being treated okay, like yeah. they're the face of the show. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's all the people that are actually making the show happen that he's yeah. assholes to. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, anyway, that's really interesting. interesting. So, yeah, yeah hopefully stay tuned for a bit more, I Indeed, hope. indeed. Uh, uh, can we – sorry, I'm going to talk yeah. about another thing. The closer we get to In the Heights coming out, oh my God. I just am so fucking excited. I'm so excited. There was – so I think an embargo got lifted in the last week, which yes, was – Yes, it must have been. Yeah, so basically like a lot of people had seen an early screener, screener of it. Yeah. And just every single person that I've read, and most of them are theatre people, are just like, it is a, such a good film. <laughs> it's such a good adaptation of the musical. Like, oh. I am so excited. I'm actually beside myself. Yeah. So um, it's premiering at the Tribeca Film Festival on the 9th of June, so we are very close. It'll actually be a nice birthday present for you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I organised that. Yes. Uh, it's just like, it just looks perfect. And that cast. Oh, and, oh. So good. Yeah. So good. I'm so very excited. Yeah. Um, and I think they're showing it because, of course, I think there's a bit of a concern that, like, cinemas won't really be fully reopened yeah. in June in, in New York. But, yeah. So they're doing, like, all these outdoor screenings so all good. over the boroughs of New York, <gasps> Imagine which is that cool. in summer. I know. You get to, oh, so good. What I would give to be um, there. I also wrote a note. I'm finally um, almost through season three of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, how um, good is it? Yeah, so good. And I just wanted to note because there's a couple of really great, like, musical theatre actor cameos that are in season three. And not even cameos. Like yeah, like characters. Roles, yeah. yeah. So um, uh, Michael Arden was in um, playing like a a sort of poncy director of a play, which was great. Um, And Stephanie Sue from um, Spongebob and Be More Chill is like one of, like one of the main recurring characters of season three. Yeah. And she's fantastic as well. It's honestly such a fantastic TV show. Yeah. I really enjoy it. It's very like light and yeah, it's not too serious obviously. And I really enjoy that. Because like back in the day, I didn't mind Gilmore Girls. Like when I was, when I was an actual teenager. And so it's got all of the like clever writing of Gilmore Girls, but just like such a more advanced. Did you ever watch Bunheads? No. Oh, it was fun too. No, never. It's, it's all the same. I I can't remember her name. That's oh, terrible. But the yeah. woman who created Gilmore Girls. Yeah, with her husband. Um, what is and, her name? Um, but yeah, and they do younger as well, right? Oh, do they? I'm pretty sure. Huh. Oh, I could be wrong about that now. Maybe I didn't that's know just that. Sutton Foster. That could just be a Sutton Foster connection, and I'm just. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have you watched Younger? No, I haven't. Nor have I. No, never. But I, um, the older I get, the more I appreciate Hilary Duff. Yeah, <laughs> she's, she's and she seems to be like a really cool person as well. Yeah. And so she's in that, right? I didn't just make yeah. that connection up. I also thought we should mention Lauren um, Palladino. It's Palladino, Palladino. I'm sure. Yes. Is yeah. it Lauren? Um, and oh, I also thought Amy ma- Sherman Palladino. That's it. Just made up Lauren. <laughs> Lauren Graham Lauren is the Graham, actress yeah. from Gilmore Girls. Amy Sherman Palladino. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Um, I also thought we should mention this happened today in the time that we're recording, but um, Jim Steinman passed away. Yes, I saw. Who, of course, aside from his like incredible writing of, you know, Meatloaf songs and Celine Dion and, you know, Bonnie Tyler and stuff, also, you know, wrote. Tans to Vampire and, like, yes. did quite a lot of theatre writing as well yeah. and, and writes just, like, kind of incredible theatrical songs. Yeah, it's a real shame. Yeah. yeah. So Vale to him. Yes, Vale. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. Should we get stuck into some musicals? Yeah, I think I'm first today. You are. Oh, thanks. I want to talk to you about Sweet Charity. Yes. <laughs> I feel so like this has been a long time coming. Right? 
Actually, when I got to, when I saw that on my list, I was like, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I am talking about Sweet Charity. Um, do you like this musical? Yes. I had never seen it until I saw it at the Hayes. It yes. was the show that opened the Hayes. Yes, it was. And it was an incredible production and I loved it. Nice. Yeah. It's, yeah awesome. I think that remains the only one I've ever seen. Um, production of that yeah, show. Yeah, production yes. of Sweet yes. Charity. Um, but I loved it. Oh, yeah. that's nice. Okay, yeah. cool. I want to pick your brains about that actual production in a sec. Mm. But this musical, gosh, it makes me so sad. So I don't – I also don't mean to always be this person, but this musical could be so much more than what it is. Right. And I think I really like it for what it could be, not what it necessarily is now. Okay. Um, I've seen it a few times, including the movie, of course, and – there are parts of it that just aren't very good. Okay. Like it, it's just a, quite a flawed musical in that way but could be really spectacular. Um, I think it could be like a really interesting feminist work if done correctly mm. or at least a comment on like the awful way that women are viewed by society. So anyway, Sweet Charity is a book musical with music by Cy Coleman, lyrics by Dorothy Fields and a book by Neil Simon. It's based on the 1957 Italian film Knights of Cabaria. Uh, with right. some notable edits and differences. Is this our first Cy Coleman musical? Yeah, I was just thinking that, and yes, because I think I'm doing City of Angels in a couple of weeks. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't I don't think we've done any other Cy no. Coleman. No. And it's our first Dorothy Fields as well. Yeah, interesting. And Neil Simon. Yeah, wow. Wow, yeah. what a team. Yeah, what a team. It, it is a real crazy team. Um, okay, so the plot. We meet Charity Hope Valentine. What a great name. Great name. <laughs> She's a taxi dancer, which is literally a dancer who is paid to couples dance at dance halls. Um, oh. She's frequently um, mistaken as a sex worker. She's not, in fact, a sex worker. Um, there are no sex workers in this particular, in Sweet Charity. But so there was assume, in the original, right. in the film Knights of Cabaria, Sweet, uh, Charity is a sex worker. Yeah. But there is no exchange of sex for money in the story in the of musical, Sweet Charity, yeah. yeah. Um, so she's a very cheery person who literally has a heart tattooed on her shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> she meets her boyfriend in Central Park at the very beginning of the show and instead of saying, like, all the lovely things that she wants him to say, he pushes her into the lake and steals her handbag. <laughs> um, she almost drowns but is eventually saved and returns to her job at the Fandango Ballroom where her co-workers berate her for having a heart like a hotel which is like always having people checking in and out. Oh. I know. So she then comes across this big Italian film star whose name is Vittorio Vidal who has just had a fight with his mistress Ursula. So he, because he's in like in a pickle, he takes charity dancing and when she faints from having not eaten anything that day, he takes her to his apartment, so chivalrous. <laughs> um, but while he's out of the room, um, she's so excited at how far she's come, like she's super pumped that she's in this movie star's room um, his mistress returns, Ursula returns, and he stuffs Charity into a wardrobe while he and his mistress have makeup sex on the bed right. in front of her. Um, she gets out the next day and hopes for a better life. Um, she then gets stuck in a lift with this claustrophobic tax accountant. His name is Oscar. They hit it off and there's this strange montage where they visit a church, which is really just like a sort of front for a hippie commune. Uh, that story goes nowhere but the two seem to be in love. Charity doesn't know how to tell Oscar what her job is, but she finally fesses up and he already knew because he followed her one night. Such great men in this story. Oh, mm. Yeah. And he says it's okay, like he can deal with her dancing with men. He still wants to marry her. 
So she has this really gorgeous farewell party at the Fandango Hotel with all her friends and Oscar and Charity then go for a walk through the park where they're talking about when they're going to get married Um, and then Oscar tells her that he can't marry her because he just can't stop thinking about all the men she's danced with. He then pushes her into the lake and runs away. Uh, Realising that he hasn't stolen her bag at least, Charity feels optimistic about the future. The end. Oh, wow. Men are trash. Yeah. Men are trash. Yeah. That is the main plot point of the story. <laughs> Can you believe that that is the plot of Sweet Charity? I know. So it's just basically her getting screwed over by a bunch of different men. Just constantly screwed yeah. over. Yeah, constantly. Um, so before we get into just the, the train wreck of Charity's life, the actual background of the musical. So the story goes that Cy Coleman met Dorothy Fields at a party in 1964 and basically just asked her if she wanted to collaborate and she was like, fuck yes, because she was looking for a partner at the time and she was super keen. Um, she was a lot older than him, I think. Like she was a proper giant in the industry because yeah. she'd had heaps of hits. Like she wrote The Way You Look Tonight and On the Sunny Side of the right, Street okay. and like a fine romance. So she'd written quite a lot. Um, but she wanted to work on something a bit more modern and with someone a bit younger and yeah. and cooler. Um, so at the time, Bob Fosse was really the big driving force behind the musical. Yeah. Neil Simon was brought on to write the book. He was a friend of Fosse. Um, Neil Simon is clever, right, but musicals are definitely not his strength. Yeah, that's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Oh, yeah, like I'm, I'm totally pro Neil Simon. Like he's a great writer, but his musicals are just not all there yeah. in terms of the book. I think. But yeah. Anyway. It's, like I wonder if he just doesn't do as well when it's not like fully his vision or something. Yeah, I wonder. And also like this is technically an adaptation, I suppose. Yeah. So maybe that's part of the problem that it wasn't his source material yeah. either. I don't know. But anyway, um, it was developed fairly quickly and after tryouts at the Fisher Theatre in Detroit, it premiered on Broadway at the Palace Theatre in January 1966. It ran until July 1967 after 608 oh. performances and 10 previews. Okay, so not that long. No, not really. Yeah, like a year and a bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, still fairly successful for the time but yeah, not like true. not crazy good. Yeah, um, but considering I think of it as quite an enduring work. Well, that's it. Yeah. And I actually think the reason is Bob Fosse. So okay. Bob Fosse directed and choreographed it and it starred Gwen Verdon as Charity. In fact, like he had pushed this production as a vehicle for Gwen. So they, were they still they were married? married at the time. Yeah. 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 Um, so that production was nominated for nine Tony Awards, including Best Musical. Man of La Mancha won that year. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, and Angela Lansbury won Best Actress for MAME that yeah, year. Yeah, wow. So Gwen Verdon didn't win That's that. That's a pretty big year. It's a big year. Sweet Charity only won Best Choreography, but of course. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So very quickly after, there was an Australian production starring Nancy Hayes yes. in 1967 at Her Majesty's Theatre in Sydney. Uh, that same year, the show opened on the West End, running for 476 performances. Yep. The Australian production, too, like, toured. It was really successful. Yeah. People loved it. Yeah. Um, there have been so many productions of this show. Yeah. Like, it is just done and done. It keeps being produced. I am not 100% sure why. I think it's the draw of Bob Fosse's choreography. And there's a few, I mean, there's some famous songs in it as well, There's I some guess. famous songs yeah. in it, definitely. Yeah. Um, so we have a Broadway revival in 1986 running for 369 performances. Okay. That one is notice, um, notable because Gwen Verdon and Bob Fosse choreographed just a couple of months before he died. Oh, yeah. And she, like, taught the ensemble all the numbers. Yeah. So um, Is that shown in Fosse Verdon in the TV series? I think it is, actually. I think they do briefly show it. I think they do. This yeah. reminded me how much I love that TV Such series. Such a great hey? show. Yeah, I know. Um, 
So that production won four Tonys, including Best Revival. It wasn't called Best Revival then. It was called something else. Oh, yeah. Basically Best Revival. Um, There was then a 1998 Benefit concert and a 1998 London Revival. Then the 2005 Broadway Revival starring Christina Applegate and Dennis O'Hare. That's right, yeah. Um, That production was pretty cursed actually. During tryouts, Christina Applegate broke her ankle and her understudy had to go on. Oh, that's right. Oh, her understudy was, um, oh, God. Uh, the Cassie in, in the Chorus Line revival. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Charlotte. Um, Charlotte D'Amboise. Charlotte D'Amboise yeah. um, had to go on. She would have been great. Oh, she would have been so good. But that, like, the tryouts did not do well. So yeah. they called the Broadway run off completely because it just so this had, was like the out of town. Yeah. Yeah, when it was out of town, I think Christina Applegate did, like, two tryouts and then broke her ankle. Right. So they brought um, D'Amboise on. And then the producers were like, we're not going to Broadway because we just haven't sold any tickets. No one's interested in it. But Christina Applegate convinced producers to change their minds and by the time it got back to Broadway she had recovered so she went on. Um, That show was nominated for three Tony Awards but it didn't win any and it closed after 279 performances. Um, That production then toured starring Molly Ringwald. Oh, I think I vaguely knew that, Yeah. yeah. So there was another London revival at the Menier Chocolate Factory in 2009 and the Australian revival at the Hayes Theatre in 2014. Yeah. That production is so celebrated. Yeah, like so it opens it won, the Hayes. Yeah, it was the first production yeah, the Hayes did. And, of course, did. the Hayes is, is named for Nancy Hayes, That's which is right. the reason that they um, did Sweet did Charity. Did Sweet Charity because it was her kind of star turn. Yeah, and it like it just won all these awards in Australia. Yeah, because I think it did a season there and then actually we did a pro – it did like a – It did like a mini com- tour, A little didn't mini it? commercial season like – to the Opera House and, like, yeah. a few other places and we did a program at work for that tour, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, by all accounts it was a really – I'm really kicking myself I didn't see it actually. The one, though, I really wish I had seen was the 2016 off-Broadway production produced by the new group oh, at yes. the Perishing Square Signature Centre. Yeah. So it was directed by Lee Silverman and it starred Sutton Foster. I will talk more about this production but more recently, there was also a 2019 Donmar off-Broadway revival oh, okay. that ran for a limited season. So there's just like so many. Yeah. It's quite popular with amateur societies as well because it does have like a fairly large cast. Yeah. And it's just like people go see Sweet Charity. You, like you said, there's yeah. really famous songs in it. Um, so the ways I think this could be a better show. Yes. The bulk of revivals of this show present it in a really typical way. So the show is generally agreed to be a dancing show. Like the Fosse Curry is definitely what it is Did most famous for. Do you have to do the Fosse Curry? Do you know? I don't think you do. No. Like I think, I think a lot of the challenges has been like people don't do the Fosse Curry. They want to do something different, and then it's not quite okay. Right. Um, all I know is that there is only one version to license, but I don't think you have to. No. Okay. Yeah. Um, Obviously that Cory is what it's most famous for and I feel like people really just want to watch it and love it for that, which is totally fair. Like I love Bob Fosse and what he does. Yeah. It's so interesting to watch. Um, to be even fairer, I think if Bob Fosse hadn't choreographed it, we wouldn't be talking about Sweet Charity yeah, exactly. right now. Like, I just really believe that. Um but it could be so much more. So that 2016 revival really explored Charity's mental health because she is quite manic in that production. Yeah. Also, she is manic. Like, yeah. you heard the plot. 
Her behaviours, I think, smack of like an abuse victim. Right. Who is desperately searching for love and acceptance at any cost. And so apparently Sutton Foster really locked into her trauma and the eventual near drowning at the end is like a breakdown. She has like a literal breakdown. I think this show could be stronger. Um, It could be a stronger comment on like the constant degradation of women at the hands of men. Mm. The male characters in the show are all just awful and they're all minor characters too like there are there are, it's really a show about women yeah um so why not take the next step and like really highlight the hopelessness of charity's situation rather than try to find some hope yeah because the ending is like no it's okay like maybe she'll find someone yeah. but like why do, why do we why do we do that yeah why does she have to find someone like, that's it why does it need to have a fake happy ending exactly yeah so i do love that her big empowering song before i'm a big brass band is her talking about her hope in like having a better career so that's um there's got to be something better than this that's is a about gr- a great song such a good song yeah. but that's all about her finding a better job yeah like she she does sing about men a bit but this is not her being like I just want to find a guy she does like she actually doesn't always talk about men at all so but to be fair she also seems to understand that finding a man could actually help her get out of her shit job and shit yeah. life um to be fair also that is a comment on how incredibly fucking difficult life is as a woman particularly one with no education no money and yeah. a pretty demeaning job her life at every turn is subject to a man in the story. I think let's make this show a true, like, story about the horror of the patriarchy. Mm. There is an excellent article in Vulture by Jesse Green about that revival that really hits the nail on the head, so I'm going to quote it. It's quite a yeah, long quote. I really like Jesse Green, by the way. Yeah, she's yeah. excellent. Yeah, he, yeah. Sorry, he. Yeah. Um, so Charity, this is a quote, Charity is no woke woman. She's still pre-feminist and so is the Neil Simon book. It's framed by two acts of humiliation that were apparently thought comic even as late as 2005 when the show was last revived on Broadway. Precisely because we can no longer endorse laugh- with laughter the theft of Charity's life savings by a boyfriend, let alone her being pushed into the Central Park Lake twice, the director Lee Silverman has had to find another way to look at the material. Where the original essentially sublimated the story's darkness into its brilliant Fossey razzmatazz and ended with a good fairy promising a change of luck and neon lights announcing that Charity lives hopefully ever after. This one never lets you forget that it is fundamentally about women endangered by men, poverty and a lack of education. Silverman's production ends not with hope or moxie but a nervous breakdown. Mm. And I think that's the trick for this show. I think it's got to be that. So as explored... In the truly excellent TV series Fosse Verdon, the film, which was also directed by Bob Fosse, totally flopped. Right. Did you know that? I don't think I did. Oh, my God. Like famously it was so poorly received by critics who infinitely oh. preferred the stage ver- yeah, version. Yeah, that's, that's in, that's in Fosse Verdon, Yeah, isn't like it? the first yeah. episode is how shit the film that's right. went. Yes, I do remember that Like now. people were just like, Shirley MacLaine is not as good as Gwen Verdon, blah, blah, blah. It performed very poorly at the box office, so it yeah. made just slightly more money than they had to pay Shirley MacLaine. Mm. Like that is how poorly it did. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I find that really fascinating. Also, you just should watch Fosse Verdon if you haven't. It's so good. Right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so other talking points. There were definitely problems with that revival, which was interest- interesting because if you look at pictures, it's like it looks so dark and grungy and exactly what you want this it to be. This is the Christina. That, no, the Sutton Foster one. Oh, the Sutton one. Foster one, right, I mean, yeah. Yes. Everything before that was just very light and fluffy, but this one apparently um, – so I think it's come closest to what the piece should be. 
it's really dark, this revival, and it's strange enough to match like a dark subject matter. The show shouldn't be cheesy, I mm. think. Was the Haze one really cheesy? No, it was quite grunt. I thought it was quite dark. Oh, awesome. Um, and also I don't know if this is normally done, but it was the one actor played most of the men. Is oh, that often how it's done? No, not at all. Yeah, so and obviously because it was the Hayes, which is only a 100-seat theatre, it was a much smaller cast than usual, so there was no ensemble as yeah, such. Yeah, nice. So I think it was pretty much like the women of the like the club yeah, the were kind of the other like whatever characters. Like I think there was very few men in it. Wow. Um, and even I know I'm pretty sure like – I remember hearing someone being interviewed not that long ago and they were talking about how, because Verity Hunt Ballard played Charity, Charity yeah. who was so for Australian listeners, like she was the original Mary Poppins in Australia. Yeah. Like she's an incredible performer. Um, she was in Big Spender, which Charity is not normally in. No. Um, but they like needed the, they needed, needed the, her, body. the body on stage yeah, basically. Wow. Fascinating. And actually I think it worked. Like It sounds like that production is similar to, the, to the Sutton yeah. Foster revival because it some of the complaints were that the cast were too small so people were doing multiple roles mm. which I don't think is a problem no I don't I don't ever remember you know like I said I'd never seen it before yeah I don't ever remember being confused or anything like that yeah um and I just I, yeah I honestly just remember thinking it was great but yeah it's like the one dude plays most of the ma- the men that she I love that is with kind of thing yeah that's really yeah. clever yeah which and also it meant that that was a real part as yes. well for that Actor. Well, yeah, it's quite meaty. Yeah. So I, because I've seen a couple of productions of it and I've always thought it's always done too big. Like it just feels like too many people on stage for what is really a small story mm. about this person. Yeah. And it's generally like the scenes are generally like two or three people most, you know, yeah. like it's not, they're it's, not big numbers or anything. It's really interesting because, I, you know, I've seen a few of these kind of reworks of old, older shows at the Hayes now and I think it's probably worked the best in terms of stripping it back yeah. and that sort of thing. Like I remember sort of really being impressed with what they tried to do with Gypsy but thinking, yeah. oh, no, this this show needs to be big. Like, yeah, isn't it like, interesting? Yeah. And then like when they did Calamity Jane, which went on to – do incredibly well like on tour and things like that it was so good like it really it was worked. really grungy and small hey I, well, yeah and like i don't know that grungy is the word like it was so playful yeah. and so just like but see like that's i really... say the same thing about big fish and i'm glad i haven't seen i didn't see like the big production yeah. on broadway but when they stripped it back into the yeah. haze it was so magic absolutely but i do remember because i haven't seen one of these smaller productions of sweet charity i remember looking at a bigger production and thinking like it doesn't work it's too yeah. big yeah. it's too showy for this story mm. um yeah so interesting something about the film i forgot to mention there was an alternate ending oh that bob fossey recorded because he assumed that the studio would not like the sad ending okay that charity doesn't end up with anyone so basically he shot it after oscar dumps charity and runs away he feels guilty he comes back he accidentally falls in the lake they laugh and make up and walk away hand in hand. Oh. Um, this alternate ending is actually included on the DVD and some people who don't know the stage show actually think that's how the show ends. Right. So, like, I found this really hilarious discussion board on Broadway World yeah. where this woman was like, um, I've just heard something that, like, that Charity doesn't end up with Oscar at the end and I'm confused because that's not what the film is and all these people underneath were like, no, 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 you've been watching the alternate ending this whole time. Oh, my like, God. That is not the show at all. It's not the story. That's amazing. Um so anyway, like, it's a proper fucking cop-out. And at least Bob Fosse knew that that's not how the show should end. Yes. Like, yeah. But I think that's hilarious. I haven't seen the alternate ending. No. But anyway. 
Um, this is interesting. In the original Broadway production, Gwen Verdon actually fell into the orchestra pit each time she was pushed into the lake. Oh, that's um, fun. I know, right? In the Sutton Foster revival, an ensemble member just threw a bucket of water over her. <laughs> but um, I love the idea of Gwen Verdon just like launching herself off yeah. the stage. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there's a couple of recordings you can listen to. There's the original Broadway cast, there's a film soundtrack recording, there's the original London cast, there's a 1986 Broadway revival and the 2005 Broadway revival with Christina Applegate and Dennis O'Hare. Yeah. All of the songs that I've put on the Gateway playlist are from the 2005 revival okay. just because of the recording and also Christina Applegate can sing. Yeah, I think she's quite good, isn't it? Yeah, she is really good. So Gateway songs. Yeah. Okay, most of the songs are bangers. Yeah, great. Lots of good songs. Um, they're all much of a muchness, though. I refuse to put If They Could See Me Now on this list because I hate that song. Oh, okay. I think it's because it must have been, you know, you know when, like, we were doing a Stedfords and stuff, you'd yeah. get, like, a book of sheet music that came with a CD backing track. Yeah. And I think it was one of those ones that everyone had, so everyone sang that song. Yeah. And I'm sick of it. So, anyway, you should start with There's Gotta Be Something Better Than This. Yeah. Because that's a great song. Obviously, Big Spender. Which is just also like such a good song. Such a good song. And it also, it's like the song itself matches the choreography. Yeah. Like it really just, you can see it, you can visualise it. Absolutely. Um, I would love to put The Rhythm of Life on this list, but it has nothing to do with the show. It is it not a gateway it's song. It's not a gateway song, but fuck, what a good song. It's a great song and you should listen yeah. to it, but it is not your gateway into this musical at all. It's the most, I think, I will go out and say it's the most random moment in the musical theatre. Yes, I'd agree with that. Completely. So instead, listen to Baby Dream Your Dream. It's yep. a really beautiful duet. And also Where Am I Going, which is just a beautiful song that mm. Charity sings. Um, I've Like I've said, I put Christina Applegate on there because, like, just have a listen to her. She's really good. And that's Sweet Charity. Let's awesome. fix it. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's make it like a great ode to women. Absolutely. What a – Yeah. It's Great a good show. show. Yeah. Yeah. I want to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> Every week Joe's been like, I want to do this. I want to do this show. I do. I do want to do it. Yeah. I, <laughs> I couldn't be charity, but it you would be a good. I don't think so. Too, too, too much dancing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And also like she's 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 like a grown-up Annie. She's got to be like hopeful and starry-eyed and <laughs> you're you're too um sad yeah I'm too sad <laughs> and angry <laughs> with the world I'd be a good charity at the end of the show <laughs> yes exactly exactly what do you want to talk about Rithi I'm going to talk about a little show called Groundhog Day oh my god yeah I didn't know you were doing this what are your Groundhog Day thoughts I know the film right you don't know the musical at all I know it's by Tim Minchin yep I know that song playing Nancy yep that's it okay cool that's all I know so, of course, I've talked about Matilda on here before. Matilda is one of my favourite shows. And also I've been a massive fan of Tim Minchin's comedy, like, forever. Yeah, like, I've seen him birth. in concert, like, six times. Like, I love him, right? Hmm. So I was set up to really like anything he did. You know, like, that's really just yeah. going to be the way. Um, but also, somewhat by chance, I ended up seeing this show three times. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? Considering, like, I'll talk about how short the runs of this show have been. Was that in one trip you saw it three times? So I was living in London when yeah. it was on in London, um, and I saw it t- I saw it twice there. Oh, wow. Um, I remember I, I went once by myself during previews, and Is then there? my parents came over to visit and I took them um, because they loved Matilda as well and Tim Minchin and everything. And then on a trip to Broadway, um, which actually would have been once I'd moved back home, yes. but I was on a work trip. It was on and I saw it then as well. 
Wow. Yes. I've seen you must it. be like one of the only people to say you've seen it three right, times. Three times. I mean, I guess there's probably some super fans who probably saw it three times like in London or whatever. But, yeah, it's kind of random yeah. anyway. Um, yeah, so uh, Groundhog Day. So music and lyrics by Tim Minchin and book by Danny Rubin. It is based on the 1993 film of the same name, from an, which the film is from an original story by Danny Rubin, Rubin and the screenplay was by Danny Rubin and Harold Ramis. Oh, nice. Yeah, so um, – this, of course, comes after Matilda. Yes. Um, so that's Tim Minchin's other musical, basically, yes. other commercial musical. Genius work of Ab- art. Absolutely. Mm. And then Danny Rubin is mostly known for writing the screenplay of Groundhog Day. Like he hasn't done a lot else. Yeah. Um, this is his only stage show and he only really has a handful of other films as well. Wow. I think he teaches screenwriting a bit and stuff oh, yeah, like that. Cool. But like Groundhog Day is kind of his career, huh. basically. So um, the story, uh, a bit about the story. So the story centres around Phil Connors, who is a TV weatherman and also an asshole, <laughs> and he is sent to the town of Punxsutawney, Philadelphia, <laughs> to report on their annual Groundhog Day ceremony. Groundhog Day is when a rodent known as a groundhog. I said rodent. I just assumed it was a rodent. Do you think it's a rodent? I thought it was like some sort of possum, but I suppose they're rodents too, aren't they? I just, I honestly, or like, like, is it a beaver I just or something? Categorized it. It is kind of like a beaver. What is a groundhog? Yeah. I'm going to find out. Anyway, I just categorized it as a rodent and realized I could be completely lying. We're finding out. Um, so whether. Uh, a, a groundhog will or will not see its shadow. It's a rodent. Yes. I got it right, guys. <laughs> uh, will or will not see its shadow, which would signify an end to winter and the start of spring. Unfortunately, on this occasion, the groundhog does see a shadow, which means there'll be another six weeks of winter. I know. It's a weird thing. Is that a real thing? They yeah, do that? February 2nd. It's um, It comes up on like I have like on my work calendar it says like all the like it's got the UK holidays, the US holidays and the Australian holidays. And it's like it says on the – I mean, it's not like people don't get a day off, I don't think, but – Well, it's no, like because it's Groundhog Day. A national He's day. He's to work. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, so so that, you know, he sees he sees his shadow. Oh, no, there's another six weeks of winter. Now, unfortunately, there is a big snowstorm that night which leaves Phil, his cameraman Larry and his new producer Rita stuck in the town for another night. <laughs> So he goes to sleep. The next morning, Phil wakes up and it is February 2nd all over again. He's confused but kind of goes with it. And then the same thing happens again and again and again. And he is reliving the exact same day over and over. Yes. He does everything he can to try and stop it. He sees doctors and then quacks. He gets drunk. He sleeps with a whole bunch of people. And eventually he just tries committing suicide again and again. (laughs) Eventually he realises he has feelings for Rita, his producer, and he's also kind of gradually learning what an arsehole. Not to be a dick. Yeah, what an arsehole he's been. Mm. So instead he sets about trying to create the perfect day for Rita and also for the town. Um, And in one, you know, sort of iteration of this day, they finally kiss at the end and he wakes the next morning with Rita in his room and it is a new day. Uh, Though overjoyed at finally being able to leave, Phil agrees to spend the day with Rita and they start their day with watching the sunrise in Punxsutawney on February 3rd. And that, yeah, so like... It's obviously quite a hard thing to show on stage because it is literally him reliving the same day over and over again. Yeah, it's so interesting actually because when I think of that film, I think it's all about Bill Murray and it's all about just his interpretation of the, like, repetition. So I think I do wonder how that could work on stage. Yeah, exactly. I do think that um, one thing I thought that I read was interesting was that, of course, musicals are about repetition Mm. and that kind of lends itself to it. 
Um, it's very if you true. know what I mean. Yeah, yeah like that true. was one of the things that Tim Mitchell said he was attracted to. Well, at least then it's not like a crazy set or changes or anything. Like yeah. it's the same thing over and over. Yeah. So a bit of background. So Danny Rubin had been wanting to turn the film into a stage show for some time and he'd been working on a script for it. Around 2012, so like fairly soon after Matilda had premiered, Matthew Watchus, who directed Matilda, introduced Rubin to Tim Minchin and the three of them began working on the musical together. Love it. Small side note, I didn't realise that Matthew Watchus was married to Lauren Ward, who was the original Miss Honey, both on the West End and Broadway. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, that just obviously never came up in my Matilda I research. I wonder if that's just how, like, that's how, not they... how It's not how they met. They'd oh. been married beforehand, so a bit of nepotism going on. But anyway, oh, look, she was very good. Um, so the show was announced for Broadway first and then announced that it would, um, have a, like a limited season at the old Vic in London, um, like after they announced Broadway kind of thing, Yeah. but the old Vic would be first. So it started previews on July 16th, 2016 at the old Vic and it ran its limited season there until the 19th of September that year, like, which is what they'd planned for. I think it extended a couple of times or whatever, but that was always what they planned. That was what they wanted. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Um, cause of course the old Vic is like a subscription. Yeah. So the reaction in London was hugely positive, like amazing reviews, et cetera, et cetera. It was nominated for eight Olivier Awards and it, and it won two, one of them being Best New Musical ah. and, and Best Actor for Andy Carl, who played Phil Connors. Nice. Um, interestingly, and I didn't know this, but Scott Rudin was originally the lead producer for Broadway hmm. but pulled out just before they were due to start performances in London. Because he's a dick. Yeah, so his statement said that he was – not satisfied with his ability to influence the evolving show and had opted to move on. That's such a bullshit way right? to say something. Yeah. Not satisfied with his ability to influence. Ugh. Yeah. So luckily, Gross. and so there was a point where it was like, is it going to come to Broadway? Like, because if the lead producer pulls out, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. So luckily two, the two other producers involved sort of took over uh, and it started previews on 16th of March 2017 at the August Wilson Theatre. So that was the theatre that Jersey Boys had played at since 2005 oh, and it wow. only just closed. God, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, so Groundhog Day was the first show after it closed that yeah, went in, man. which is like 12 years. That's a been huge there. run. Yeah. yeah. Um, it uh, Groundhog Day received positive reviews but unfortunately like just never quite mm, got found there. its place on Broadway and closed 17th of September 2017 after 208 performances. There was originally a US tour announced, like that they were going to go out on tour, but it was cancelled afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, so they never went out on tour. That's a shame. Yeah, Because I really think is. actually it sort of belongs out off-Broadway out in the world. Like yeah. I think that's where it should be, yeah. but anyway. It was nominated for seven Tony Awards at the 2017 Tonys, but sadly didn't win any. Uh, that year for Best Musical, it was up against Dear Evan Hansen, which mm. won, yeah. um, Come From Away, and Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. So Very it was a strong year. Strong year, strong yeah. year, definitely, especially like score-wise. Yeah. Um, so much of the production team were the same as Matilda. So aside from composer Tim Minchin and director Matthew Watchers, there was also choreographer Peter Darling mm. and designer Rob Howe. So it was like... Very much the same team kind of thing. So just so many men. Oh, right? Like, so many white women? men. Where are they? Where are the women? I know. It's where are ridiculous. the people of colour? Um, I also want to mention Andy Carl, who played Phil Connors both in London and on Broadway. He's just an astonishingly good performer. Yeah, you'd and, have to be in that and role. And, like, he's been nominated for three Tonys but never won and I just, it's, like, oh, very overdue. Oh, That's tough. Yeah, because he played Rocky in the Rocky musical, which was not – Apparently not very good, the show, but he was incredible. I actually can't imagine being able to play Phil Connors and Rocky. Rocky? Like I know. That is a crossover. Yeah. It's not like Bill Murray could do both of those roles. No, that's right. <laughs> he's. I would say he's more close 
to Rocky in his real life than like in his sort of natural persona than, than Phil than, Connors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he of course was in Legally Blonde opposite his yeah. wife or Faye, and they also both appeared appeared in Pretty Women. Pretty woman, pretty women, <laughs> pretty women, sweetie Todd, yeah. pretty woman together as well. Um, I'm sure he appeared in pretty women. Yeah, <laughs> but he's just so great. I just love him. Yeah, he is excellent. Anyway, he, I think, and honestly, like this was such a star turn. This role as yeah. well, like because he's on stage basically the whole time. Well, yeah, and he has to go through such a journey because right? everything is through his eyes. Really. That's right. It's his exactly. Perspective. But, I mean, we talked about him in the Legally Blonde episode. He's exceptional. Exceptional. He's so good. He's so charismatic. Yeah. Anyway, I just just Amanda Carl love because he's the best. <laughs> um, I also, I mean, you will love this fact. Ready. Bill Murray, star of the film upon which the show is based, saw the show on Broadway on August 8th, 2017. He returned the very next night and saw it again. Cutie. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's adorable. Just like. And then it was like this article was like, who knows if he'll come back a third night, just like reliving the show. (laughs) It's just. I love that. Isn't that the best? Oh, that's nice. Uh, Also in 2003, Stephen Sondheim mentioned in an interview that he was planning to adapt the film into a musical. Yeah. And then, but then in 2008, basically on the record said it was just too perfect of a movie to be adapted and can't be improved. Okay. But I sort of agree. Yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. So like, um, you, no one cares about this, but when I was growing up, like I grew up out in the country and I would go stay with my grandparents a lot and they because I have like young uncles they had a collection of VHS like videos yeah but there were only like eight of them so we would watch the same eight movies over and over and they had like both Ace Ventura's Dumb and Dumber, Faulty Towers, the BBC Pride and Prejudice and Groundhog Day. <laughs> I mean that's a great collection. It's, great. it's all we needed. Yeah. But like we watch Groundhog Day to death. That's pretty funny that you watch that film again so and again. So much, so much. Yeah. And loved it. It's so good. Um yeah, it's such a good film. <laughs> I yeah, it's interesting. Like I've read a lot about this show and what I find really interesting about it is that it's actually like a super philosophical yeah. existential musical and it I'm is. not sure that's a category that really exists, right? Well, it's almost like theatre of the absurd. Yeah. Like it really, it's like Waiting for Godot. Yeah, but like, like I read this um, interview, I think, with the director, I think with Matthew Watchers, and he talked about how in their minds, they wouldn't put like a number on it, but in their minds he probably relives that day millions of times. Oh, like literal millions of times. <gasps> and it's just that thing of like how does that change a person? Yeah, like that's a proper crisis. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, like like – I said, like, there's a point in which he just gets Decides up every day and tries to kill himself. Yeah. Um, and so I I do think that the existentialism of it is one of the reasons it didn't work as well in the United States as in as in the UK. Yeah. Um, I also think it probably was just maybe a bit too dark. Like mm. I said, there's that song where it's called Hope, the song, by the way, <laughs> where he just kills. Oh, Tim mentioned. And it's really well staged. It's got that thing where, like. It, you, it's almost like people are clones of Phil are yes. popping up and killing themselves and they've sort of dressed all these people to make it look like him and suddenly he pops up through the bed over here and then he's on the yeah, other side wow. of the stage. It's really amazingly but that's staged. that's like a breakdown. Yeah, yes, exactly. But it's like literally like him breakdown. like, oh, well, I'm awake, shoot myself in the head. Like so it's pretty full on from that yeah. point of view. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't necessarily say the show is is dark as a whole, if no, that makes sense. Like it's, it's more like a 
comedy. It's a tragic comedy, yeah, really. Yeah, exactly. I also really enjoyed this um, quote from Tim Minchin um, where he said, if we talk about Groundhog Day as a humanistic text, we only have one life and there's no punishment or reward afterwards, then the wisdom is just be kind because that will make you happy and the people around you happy. Hmm. The whole conclusion of this musical is not a grand bumper sticker. It's just the Proustian. The journey is not to find new places but to see things with new eyes or whatever that quote is. <laughs> yeah. So I, I love I, him. I really, enjoy, I know he's, he's, but again, it's like, is that all a bit too intellectual for like the average Broadway? It is it's just too cerebral. Yeah. And, and so like hearing lots of interviews and like, how, like even like it's come up in conversations I've had with people in the industry, the consensus seems to be that the wrong move was to move to Broadway. Yeah. That like they'd gotten these amazing reviews at the old Vic and instead they probably should have just moved to the West End yeah. and done a West End run and if that had have gone really well then then transfer to Broadway yeah. but I will say that I also think part of the issue was that because like for example they had a lot of technical issues it had this big revolve right like part of the way they were showing I guess the repetition, the repetition of the day yeah. was that this revolve was sort of going and it would sort of show what was happening during the course of that day oh yeah and that is obviously very big and very technical and I just don't think it's a big Broadway blockbuster set musical, you know, like. It doesn't like, really lend itself. No, exactly. Like I get I get the concept of that mm. but like I know that, for example, in the first few weeks of previews they had lots of tech issues like mm. having to stop the show because the Revolve wasn't working and things like that. Yeah, I feel like that's a bit of a missed opportunity because the show is quite simple in terms of its plot yeah you don't need to make it a complicated no, set I, I, I say like somewhere like the haze or you know i almost could really can't wait for it, it to be done very pared back yeah. very much just about the text because i i do think that the music is really beautiful like it's got that you know in the same way that matilda like tim mentioned doesn't like to go for musical theater tropes no. right but for example like he, the harmonies are beautiful like in the ensemble numbers and stuff like that yeah. and although it's it's not traditional in the way that like Andy Carl doesn't sing like a very traditional big musical theatre song or anything like that, but instead it's like here's a rock song and here's a, yeah. you know, so it's still really interesting musically. Yeah. Um, but, yes, I wouldn't say it gives you uh, the things that you would normally think are going to be in a Broadway musical, yeah. which kind of like links to my um, gateway song. So I'll link – there's just the original Broadway cast. Yes. Um, so I'll link to that. But, yes, yeah, so I've actually – I've picked a few different ones. So Seeing You is the finale of the mm. show. Um, and like I said, like when you listen to that, like think about the fact that this guy has maybe lived this day millions of times huh. and it's kind of like, hey, like he's like finally through it and it's like this joy of like realising that Reed is the person that he sort of wants to spend the rest of his life with and mm. stuff like that and and it's this really kind of, today's finally a new day and yeah. and the sun has risen, you know, over the town and stuff like that. And it's a really beautiful song. Um, if you can also YouTube Tim Minchin doing it like as a solo song, it's also beautiful. Yeah, it would be. uh, He does it really well. He's done, he does that in concert quite often. Yeah. Uh, like he does when I grow up, like it's quite touching. Hmm. Um, the next song I've um, chosen is One Day, which is the Act One finale. And that's kind of like Rita doesn't, she gets a kind of a, a couple of big solos in other songs, but not really like her own she song. never gets her yeah. own song where she sings without anyone else. Yeah, nice. Um, but One Day is her talking about the sort of the, 
man she would like to meet and like what he would be like kind of thing. Yeah. So it is still an ensemble number and it's the act one finale, but that it is kind of her song in yeah. the show. Um, so that one's really good. Um, and then the two the other two others, and I, I also think this is where like Tim and Jim is not very typical musical theatre, are kind of characters that don't do a lot else in the show, right? Like but Nancy ha- and that guy. Yeah, yeah so yeah. playing Nancy is the first song, the one that Josephine mentioned at the beginning. That opens act two. Mm. So in the same way that um, When I Grow Up or mm. Telly in, in Matilda take place outside the action of the show, yeah. playing Nancy actually does take place within in the action of the show. But, but it's separate from the main storyline. It's line. literally an ensemble character. Yeah. So in the first act when um, – um, Phil is having his like I'm gonna fucking sleep with everyone phase, right? Yeah. One of the random people he sleeps with is this girl from the town, Nancy, yeah. kind of thing. And then as Act Two begins, she kind of steps out of the ensemble and is like, kind of just talking about her life and how, um, you know, it's like she's the pretty girl and that's all she'll ever be, um, and that she's got to play that part for hmm. everyone, kind of thing. And it's actually just a really beautiful like standalone song. Yeah. Um. So. Um, that's a really great one to listen to. Now, I, I remember talking to people who'd seen it and were like, it's got nothing to do with the story, like got to keep the story moving. And I just think. Well, no. Yeah, I, I somewhat disagree. I just think like you can still build a world. But also like you cannot keep a story going when it's just the same day over that's and right. over. Like, it's okay. the, yeah, if you're going to do it in true. any musical, you may as well do it in this exactly, one when it's just exactly. the same day. And then the last thing I'm looking to is a song called Night Will Come. And that is. So, again, it's, like, kind of a random character. So there's this character called Ned. This is where Ned's wife has. Yeah. yeah. So, like, Ned is one of the townspeople of the show. They, like, knows Phil in some way. Yeah, that's right. Like, knew him from somewhere. Yeah. And and he's, like, trying to sell life insurance the whole show, right, the whole time. And this is the point where we realise that the reason he's so – into selling insurance is because his wife died some mm-hmm. time ago. And so it's somewhat related to that. And like in the show, while that's happening, Phil, there's like a homeless person that lives in the town and Phil kind of has realized that on that day, that person dies. Mm. Um, because of course the same thing happens every day. And it's kind of like, no matter what he does, he's unable to save that homeless person's yes. life kind of thing. Like he tries all these different things. That's one of my favorite parts in the film where his character changes so that he's now focused on saving someone's life. Exactly. It's a beautiful yeah. moment. So it's just like, it's basically like Phil learning that like, some things are going to happen no matter what yeah. you sort of try to do to stop it. Yeah. And it is such a beautiful song. The guy who sings it, the guy who plays Ned has a really beautiful voice and it's, um, yeah, it's a really kind of haunting song. Mm. Um, but again, yeah, quite like heavy and existential, you mm. know? Um, so I, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like this, I do encourage everyone to listen to the show because there are some beautiful music in it. I do think it's a really lovely show, but I also kind of get why it didn't do very well. Yeah. Yeah, so I I sort of wish it had have stayed in London and try and done a proper London season mm. because maybe it would have had a better chance of a, a longer life. And I know that Tim Minchin has been very sour about the way that the show went. Like he even now, like I've heard him bring it up in interviews and stuff, just basically saying that like the producers fucked it. Yeah, like he's really sour about it because he loves the show. Well, yeah, and it's very him. Like that, well, there's that song stuck in it where, like I said, he goes to see a bunch of quacks, basically, <laughs> like all these different like holistic, you know, yeah. things. And of course, Tim Minchin as a comedian is very kind of anti alternative therapies if you will like very he's very into science and um and so 
uh, it's kind of making fun of all of those types of yeah. professions. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, like it's, again, a very Tim Minchin song. Yeah. But I think this show, much more than Matilda, is reflective of him. I agree. Like it's so much more who he is. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. That, hence the darkness. Like exactly. It's, so, it's just so much more existential and, yeah nihilistic at times even yeah exactly. but ev- eventually hopeful and beautiful yeah and that's it like and that is often the the messages of his music as yeah, well is it's absolutely. like you know um uh, yeah I mean I just love I just love him as yeah, a writer I love what he stands and, for, yeah, yeah exactly but yeah so anyway like I do highly recommend you listen to it if you haven't everyone and um yeah it's a beautiful show and I do hope that it gets done more in the future yeah well hopefully we see some small productions of exactly, it exactly just like Sweet Charity let's get let's it let's do, do it. it let's do it all right should we yeah. do Groundhog Day then yeah I think so and all Sweet right. Charity in rep <gasps> listeners of ours will know what that means now (laughs) yeah so please rate review and subscribe if you can to our podcast yeah actually we would really appreciate some reviews and ratings yeah five star ratings only it really helps um our ranking which helps then if we're on the charts people can find us and stuff like that and it's one of those things where we sort of end up on the charts for a while and then we fall off for a while and then we end up there for another while but if you do those things it really helps yeah particularly that um rating and reviewing yeah so do that and we will be very grateful other than that have a good week we'll see you next time yeah bye, bye.